0: We talk about content marketing as this overlap between what brands want to publish and what buyers are actually interested in. Now that requires empathy. We have to really truly understand and even maybe even feel the pain that our audiences are going through. That takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of effort, especially to push back against executives who are asking us to promote the company and our products and services.
1: The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey folks, Alicia here. We're excited to be back with some more great content and conversations. You may have noticed that we took last week off. Um, There was a reason. We were heads down for the B2B sales and marketing exchange online experience. If you were able to join us, we're so happy you were able to do so. But if not, don't fret because we are shaking up our lineup for the rest of the season to feature some of our top sessions from the event. And it all starts this week, of course, with our session from the great Michael Brenner, who you may have seen on stage at other events or through virtual screens, Um, his work on Marketing Insider Group, or even his book, Mean People Suck. And if you do know his work, you know that he believes kindness and empathy are the root of effective communication, collaboration, and in turn, marketing. So he kind of breaks down how marketing can embrace empathy, embrace kindness, to be better communicators, tell better stories, and really put their customers and partners at the center of the content being created. Now, more than ever, I think marketing really needs to prove their value. They're being seen as a cost center, not so much a revenue center. Budgets are being slashed. We're all being tasked to do more with less. So I think Michael's take puts a a really new perspective on how we can flip the script and really make marketing be seen as a valuable source of not just engagement, but of valuable community-driven conversations. If you want to see some of the visual elements that support Michael's presentation, we know some of the magic is lost in these um, audio only experiences. So we do have Michael's talk and all of the other track sessions, more than 50 of them. Um, We have them now online on demand and we're offering access at a discounted rate. So if you want to learn more, please go to b2bsalesmarketing.exchange. We have more than six tracks of content, a lot for you to go through, but if you want a little bit of a teaser, get a feel for the type of content that was shared during the event, this is a great place to start. So with that, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to hand it off to Michael Brenner. Thanks everyone.
0: We are marketing in a time of crisis and that's why I'm here to tell you why empathy is the key to the future of marketing. You know, we're all feeling disruption, disruption from the pandemic, from racial tensions, from instability in our political system, as well as in our economic markets, and maybe even our situations at home. We're feeling disruption at a personal level. We're feeling disruption at a professional level. And I would argue that almost no function has been disrupted more than the function of marketing. So I'm gonna use this picture of my children to try to show you what I mean. We were on this beautiful vacation a couple of years ago, and my daughter, the one in the middle, uh, was celebrating her 15th birthday. And at the same day, on the same day, we received an email from LinkedIn that said, "Guess what? We're 15 years old today." please share a picture of what you were doing 15 years ago. And of course, my wife and I laughed because we weren't going to share a picture of what she was doing 15 years prior. But for the first time, it made me realize that my daughter shares a a birthday with LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is the first commercially viable social media platform. So I thought it's really interesting that one of my own kids is the same age as as this sort of, the the prevalence, the emergence of social media back in 2003. And so sure enough, I looked at my other children and my second child, uh, not by the same day, but by about a week, shares a birthday with Facebook, the world's most popular social media platform. I looked at my son, not the same day, not the same week, but the same month as the launch of the iPhone here in the United States. And then of course, number four, he is what we call um, God's plan, not our plan. Uh, He was certainly a surprise to us. We can't imagine life without him, in the same way that I'm sure you as marketers can't imagine life without Snapchat or TikTok, or all of these new shiny objects that are entering into the mainstream. The point of this, though, is that digital social mobile technologies are still relatively young. And yet, I want you to imagine the amount of disruption that they've caused in the way that we communicate with the consumers and the audiences that we're trying to reach. Today's buyers are searching for information by themselves. McKinsey states that the digital buyer is now more interested in finding information by themselves than in getting it from a salesperson. And so you could argue that marketing is more important to the B2B buyer's journey today than it ever has been. And that disruption started back in 2003 with the launch of social media, with digital platforms, with mobile technology and all of us walking around with the internet in our pockets. As you know today, we're all connected. We're all the most important source of information for each other, for better or for worse. And now we expect these kinds of experiences from the brands that we engage with, even in B2B. We expect Starbucks, Amazon, Netflix type experiences with the brands that we choose. But I want you to think about the content that you create inside your marketing organization. I like to say that marketing has a marketing problem. If you look back in our storied history and you ask most people what marketing is, they're gonna say something like an ad. If you ask your mom or you ask someone you know that isn't in the world of marketing what marketing is, they're gonna say it's an ad. I learned in college that marketing is supposed to be or defined as a two-way communication between a company and a customer, but almost no one else Would define it that way. And that's because of us. That's because the kind of content that we've created and tried to publish and and promote our our products and services with um, is the kind that just gets in people's way. It's the kind that tries to interrupt. It's not the kind that tries to engage. It's not the kind of content that tries to attract new audiences. You ask most people what marketing is, they think of maybe banner ads on their websites all over every single website that they visit. This is the first banner ad in 1994. Have you ever clicked your mouse right here? Well, guess what? 48% of people that saw this ad clicked right there. Can you imagine a click-through rate of 48%? Well, we're not at 40, 30, 20, 10, even 1%. We're now at .06, .05 now this year, percent average click-through rate on banner ads. In fact, most of the clicks, more than 50% of the clicks on banner ads are actually considered accidental because they're more than likely happening on your mobile phone. and so. When we ask most people what they think marketing is, they think that we go out and we buy banner ads and, and we're done, and yet almost no one is engaging with these ads. In fact, Business Insider states that you're more likely to be struck by lightning, give birth to twins, not die but survive a plane crash and or win the Powerball than you are to have someone click on your banner ad. You could say banners um, have 99 problems, but a click ain't one. Uh, And in marketing, especially in B2B, we're expected to deliver results. Yes, that was a joke. In marketing, we're expected to deliver things that the business, the sales team, the product team can understand, can value, can measure. If you ask a lot of executives around the organizations that we work for, they think that marketing is a logo on a stadium. But how well does that attract and engage people to your brand? You ask CEOs what they think of marketing and unfortunately 80% of CEOs are unhappy with the job of their CMOs. Um, And they're four times more likely to be unhappy with CMOs than they are with CIOs and CFOs and the rest of the C-suite. And this is largely because they don't understand what marketing is. So let's ask them, hey, CEO, what do you think marketing should do? And especially in B2B, we're expected to deliver leads for the sales team, revenue for the business, a return on investment for the CFO. But it's this same CEO that then might go and ask us to put a logo on a stadium and spend all of our marketing budget. So we're stuck between a literal rock and a hard place. The CEO of the world's most recognized brand just came out during the pandemic and said that we're gonna stop advertising because we believe that brand marketing is largely ineffective. CEOs want us to deliver results. They need us to be more effective at delivering business outcomes. And so we have to stop. And don't worry, poor Holly is fine. She survived this terrible ordeal. Just like we're going to survive uh, this, this pandemic and the, the instability that's happening in the world and, and the, the challenges that we have as marketers. And I'm gonna show you how empathy is really the key to that future. So, I believe that everything in life can be explained in a Venn diagram. So this is my Venn diagram explanation for why empathy is the key to the future of marketing. On the left-hand circle is all the stuff we create. And on the right-hand side is all the stuff that your customers are actually interested in. But if you think about most of what we create, is I'm awesome. You wouldn't walk into a, a social situation meeting someone for the first time and say, guess what, I'm awesome. But that's what we do with our marketing content. I believe it's our natural instinct. We love our products and we love our brands and our companies, and we think it's what we're supposed to do or it's what we're asked to do, but it doesn't overlap with what our audience is actually interested in. It doesn't overlap with what buyers actually need. Now, you could say consumers are distracted by pictures of babies and kittens and puppies. That doesn't serve us, that's just charity. So we talk about content marketing as this overlap between what brands wanna publish and what buyers are actually interested in. Now that requires empathy. We have to really truly understand and even maybe even feel the pain that our audiences are going through. That takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of effort, especially to push back against executives who are asking us to promote the company and our products and services. So how do you explain empathy to this guy? How do you explain empathy to executives who don't have any? And I think the answer comes to us from Jerry Maguire. We as marketers need to start to understand how to show them the money. And so I'm going to help you and try to show it to you here. Because in marketing, we can look at our corporate websites, something we've really don't talk about anymore, our corporate blogs, these are assets with real value that grow over time. That's a statement you can deliver to your CFO. We have a website, that website brings us traffic. If we can convert that traffic to leads and to deals and to sales uh, that can help our business grow, that's a financial tool that we can use. So let's look at some proof. Now this is a combination of about 15 of our clients uh, over the past couple of years. And what they do is they spend about $3,500, $4,500 a month They publish two times a week, eight articles a month, uh, and they see not a linear, but an accelerating increase in traffic. In fact, our average client sees 138% year-over-year growth in organic search traffic. Now, it doesn't just stop there. It's engaged and relevant traffic that converts to leads using various lead forms and and other different um, lead mechanisms that we use with our different clients. That converts to revenue that we can track. In fact, our average client sees a $7 revenue return for every dollar they invest in content marketing. Now, uh, I wanna tell you a quick story of how I learned this secret, that how empathy really delivers the success that we need in times of crisis, especially in marketing. So back in 2012, I was uh, working as a digital marketer for SAP, and our CEO gave a speech at a conference, it's called Sapphire Now, it's our annual customer conference, and he told customer stories, and he shared some insights from research that we had done. He didn't talk about products and services, he presented thought leadership. He used storytelling mechanisms to engage the crowd. And after that speech, he got a standing ovation, he had people laughing and crying, and he said to the CMO, why don't we do what I just did, on our website. And so the CEO asked the CMO, and the CMO asked me to take on this effort. And so I looked at our website, and what I found was that 99% of our traffic came from people typing SAP into our search engine. And the line that I used with our executive team and our marketing colleagues was, when all we do is talk about ourselves, which is what we were doing, all we're doing is talking to ourselves, our salespeople, our existing customers, our partners and investors. We need to reach new people to drive the engine of growth. And so that's what we did. We looked at the amount of search traffic that was going to the category of the stuff that we sold, not the product names of the stuff that we sold, and saw that it was significantly higher. 130 times more people searched for cloud computing than searched for the SAP cloud product. So we were, we were missing out. Our ads were being ignored. Our content wasn't being used. Our campaigns weren't generating leads. And I could show our, our team that our buyers were just looking for help. They had problems, they had challenges, and we had the expertise and ultimately the products and solutions that could solve them. But unfortunately, my peers and colleagues in marketing at the time, they said no, because behind every link on our website, there's an executive vice president of product or sales that wants that link to be all about product and promotion. And so what do you do when the math doesn't work? What do you do when even a CEO mandate doesn't work? You move to the power of fear, and that's what I did. I actually uh, was fortunate enough to be presenting at an annual sales meeting to our top 200 salespeople. And I was talking to them about sort of the, the, the direction that marketing was going in the future. It was more customer focused. It was more about looking at answering search queries with thought leadership and expert content. And I said, each one of you, pull out your laptops or your phones and type in cloud computing, which is obviously the category of something we sold. And sure enough, IBM showed up and Amazon showed up and Salesforce showed up, and we had to go down to listing number 36 for SAP to show up, that's right, that's page four. And they all knew that no one was gonna click four pages to see the SAP answer to what is cloud computing. We were just launching a big data product and so they typed in big data and guess what? IBM showed up, Oracle showed up, McKinsey showed up. All of our competitors had, had listings on the first page of the search engines that they were using. They had to go to page, uh, or listing number 22, page three, for SAP's answer to this question. And so the executive vice president, the head of global sales, actually slammed his fist on the table and said, we need to fix this, what do you need to get it done? And I asked him to go talk to my friends and colleagues in the marketing department to let them know that you were supporting this effort to put thought leadership expert content on our website. And so that's what we did. But I had to continue to sell the business case. And the business case was this, imagine if we could reach, engage, convert, and retain buyers that we're not reaching today. Imagine if I could get leads for you in the sales team from buyers that you're not reaching today with your cold calling and your cold emailing and with the already existing SAP customers coming to our website. That's what we're gonna do. And we're not gonna spend all of the budget we have to do it. We created this platform that still exists today, and I'm so proud to see uh, the, the generations of improvements and optimizations that have happened. It was a simple, simple editorial rule No promotion was allowed on this section of our website. We posted four times a week because we understood that we needed to grow our point of view, our expertise, and share what we knew in the marketplace as frequently as possible. And it wasn't just for free, this wasn't charity. Of course, on the right-hand side of each one of these articles, there was an offer to register to come to an event or to a webinar or to download a white paper, and sure, those are somewhat old-school techniques. But when you reach a relevant audience and you offer them something valuable, these techniques can still work in B2B today. And so that's what we did. But did it work? Well, we reached people we would have never reached, and not just a small number of people. It was small at first. In fact, for the first six months, I called it the content marketing valley of darkness, or valley of death, um, except that I survived, because traffic was relatively flat. But once we stuck, because we stuck with it, and we kept testing, and we kept learning what worked, we saw these little dips and valleys, and the dips and valleys started getting higher and higher and higher. By the end of the year, we had 500, that's right, half a million organic, social, and referral visitors to this website that would have never visited SAP otherwise. All of them came to our website from unbranded search terms like big data, cloud computing, business intelligence, analytics, all of this was relevant traffic, and well, you could ask, well, did it convert? As content marketers, we had to create an infographic to showcase our results, and we used the funnel metaphor to show that we were reaching uh, more than a million people with some of our paid efforts on top of the organic results that we got. We were engaging these folks who were spending more than five minutes per visit, which is something I have yet to see on any other corporate blog um, before or since. And we generated almost a thousand leads for sales. Um, Were they qualified? Well, we'll show you that here in a second. Yes, they were qualified. With a $100,000 budget, this is the chart I used to show our executive team. You gave me $100,000, we built this platform, we invested in a a few folks to start generating content for us. We saw $250,000 in actual revenue from the subscribers to our email newsletter. We did have to nurture them with a few campaigns, but sure enough, they converted. We saw more than half a million um, uh, dollars in revenue from direct lead conversions from the offers that we were putting on the side of our website. Sure, we saw traffic that we could put a number for, but we really didn't talk about that to executives. We didn't include that in our ROI calculation. But half a million visitors who came organically, we were averaging $2 in a cost per click in paid search. So you could say that traffic was worth a million dollars, but guess what? It converted to 800, almost $1,000 in actual revenue. So for every dollar we spent, we also saw $7 in return. So content marketing has real value and with a small, relatively small, but consistent investment can grow over time. Now I wrote that wrote about this in the book called The Content Formula because there is a formula for showing return on investment for marketing. I wrote this a couple of years ago. I tried to get a number of CMOs and CEOs to read it. Unfortunately, the reaction from most of the marketers I talked to is, you know what, I appreciate that you have the formula, but I'm good. I don't really, this doesn't solve the problem that I'm facing. The problem that most marketers are facing is a culture of promotion. This marketing problem that marketing has, where executives think marketing is all about selfish, blatant, and in some cases, sleazy promotional efforts that don't endear us to the audiences that we're trying to reach. Because what happens when we show empathy for customers When we use content marketing approaches, we can deliver return on investment for our companies. And so that's why I wrote this book, Mean People Suck, to try to change the way we think, not just about marketing, but about the missions that we have as companies overall. It's to solve a customer problem. And the data and the examples that I show in the book prove that empathy is a better approach than actually being blatantly promotional and selfish.
1: And now, a word from our sponsor.
0: Hey everyone, John Miller here, Chief Product Officer at Demandbase, and I can't tell you how excited I am about the new ABM platform we're building. It combines the best of Engageo and Demandbase to help you find accounts that are in market for your products, engage with buyers across multiple channels, and close deals by working with sales. To get an exclusive sneak peek of the platform, visit demandbase.com sneakpeek sneak peek. Why do we do all of the stuff that we do, right? I've already used this poor guy's image from iStock photo of a grumpy executive, um, but the fact is we as marketers need to take accountability for the fact that behind every bad marketing idea is an executive who asked for it, but there's also a marketer who said yes to that idea. And so we need to learn how to sell the business case, how to push back against those requests. We can reach, engage, convert, and retain buyers we would have never reached, but the way that we do that is so simple in the digital world we live in. We can understand the keywords that our audience is using. We can research the content that they're engaging with. We can learn and optimize and test different pathways to conversion for sales. And if we retain that engagement, the ROI can go through the roof. This is the business case for this approach, using empathy, taking a content marketing approach to the marketing that we're doing. I'm gonna give you a couple of companies' uh, examples. I'm not gonna tell you who they are. Um, But I used SEMrush to show you the organic in the blue line and the paid traffic in the orange line for three different kinds of companies. On the top left, it's a company I've been trying to work for for years. And every year they're interested in doing content with us, Um, they ask me for a proposal and then they end up saying no because they're pulled in one direction or another. They've got to support this campaign and that product person and this executive wants to do a press release. And so what we're seeing with this brand, and this is a a well-recognized brand in the B2B space, it's a company that I would bet half of you are using, and yet over time you're seeing this precipitous decline in organic search traffic, I could argue to their CFO that they are seeing a significant decrease in one of the most important marketing assets that they have. Now, on the bottom left is another company um, they do content, it's, I call it random acts of content. They do publish some customer-focused content, but it's not strategic, it's random. It's, um, uh, you know, maybe they do one a month here and they, do, they don't do one the next month. They do a case study here and they do a press release there and then they have an executive write an opinion piece. Um, so they are publishing content, it's not strategic. They aren't losing um, share, if you will, in organic search, um, but they're, they're flat. And because they're flat, uh, overall, their competition is gaining on them, so they have to pay to make up the difference. On the right-hand side is one of our clients, and this company just publishes twice a week. Pretty simple focused content, relatively um, uh, basic education, simple answers to customer questions, and you can see that they've grown 100%, 200%, 300% now um, in just three or four years. So seeing significant growth in organic search. This is a company that is building a significant financial asset with their website just by publishing regular content. That's two posts a week, every week, for a couple of years. And so this is my second tip, and that's uh, number one is to build the business case, but number two is not to forget that frequency drives results for the business, and that when we go from random acts of content to something consistent, like two to four articles per week, we can see significant increases in not just traffic, but also leads. This is research done from thousands of websites. And it's not necessarily causation and maybe correlation, it just so happens that companies that publish publish more get more traffic and get more leads. But the fact is there that when you publish more, you're more likely to have more traffic and more leads. So I'm not saying to push quantity over quality, I'm just saying pick a frequency, be consistent, and get your expertise and thought leadership out there on a consistent basis, because frequency drives results. Okay, tip number three, make your customers the hero of your content. This is really where empathy comes in, and so, just a super quick example, one of our clients is GE Healthcare, and they want to sell more MRI machines. and MRI machines are expensive. They're in some cases seven figures into the, in the millions of dollars. and hospitals don't have a lot of money for MRI machines, even though the radiology department is under tremendous pressure, especially during the pandemic, to deliver better images of um, of chests and and of all the different things that they're trying to x-ray. Uh, but GE, you know was creating lots of content about MRI that MRIs that just wasn't resonating. So we looked at their audience and we said, what do your what does your audience care about? Well radiologists want to make sure that they're getting that they're making enough money. They want to make sure that they have the right qualifications to get a better job in a new location. They want to know what kind of schooling they should go to. They want to know um, what role they play in hospitals and, and what radiology is used for in case that maybe they're uh, a budding radiology student. And so GE answered this question of the most important question on the minds of radiologists, how much money should I be making? We helped them create this radiologist and radiology technologist salary guide to answer that question. We made their target audience the hero of this piece of content. It had nothing to do with what they sold, but guess what? They reached, engaged, and ultimately converted audience an audience of folks that they would've never reached before. Okay, I wanna tell you a story about it's one of the most success, successful stories I've ever seen in the world of content marketing. And it's my good friend, Reena Patel. She's now a Chief Marketing Officer of a global research brand. But at the time, it was a couple of years ago, she was the head of brand communications for Capgemini. And she was asked to, like many of us are, increase revenue, and because they're consulting services, the product that they're selling is the experts inside their organization. So she was asked to increase revenue and elevate their experts. But the tools that she was asked to use to do that were the same kind of tools that we all get asked to use every day. It's, hey, do a tweet, do an Instagram post, do a press release, create an article on one of the trade press, and let's see if we can increase our awareness, grow our revenue, and get exposure and and sort of more awareness for the experts around our organization. Now, Capgemini is the number four player in the global consulting services market. They compete with well-known brands like Accenture and Deloitte and KPMG, and their CEO looked at those brands he was watching TV one Sunday afternoon and he thought, hmm, so KPMG, Deloitte, and Accenture sponsor a lot of golfers. In fact, in this one match I'm watching, I see uh, KPMG sponsoring Phil Mickelson and, and Deloitte sponsoring Crystal Bojone and the LPGA Tour and Accenture sponsoring Tiger Woods and just about anything that has anything to do with golf. And so what do you think the CEO at Capgemini thought that Capgemini should do with their marketing budget? He thought they should sponsor a golfer and their CMO, who happened to be a really avid golf fan and was watching those same uh, golfing events the same weekend that their CEO was, well, they cooked up this plan. We're gonna sponsor a golfer. I think it might be 20, maybe 25,000, 25 million dollars. Um, and so their CMO presented this plan to their team. We're gonna take back all of our budget, and we're gonna go sponsor a golfer. And Rena said, okay, uh, I understand why you might wanna do that, but I did some research when I joined the company, and we looked at the interest profile of our audience. And one of the things that we found was that only 12% of our audience is really interested in golf. And only 8% actually actively watches golfers, can name a golfer. Uh, And so if we spend all of our marketing budget on this 8% of active folks and 12% of generally interested folks in golf, we're going to miss 88% of our audience. And so I think we could reach, engage, convert and retain buyers we would have never reached if we just sponsored a golfer if we took a different approach. She said, you know, if we put our customer at the center of everything that we do, if we make our customer the hero of our story, if we ask what's in it for the customer, the answer to sponsoring a golfer is really not that much, at least not for 88% of them. And so, Rena pushed back. She said, I think we can create content for our customer on the website that we owned, not put our logo on golfers who do what they want and may win or may not, and won't reach a large portion of our audience. She did some customer research. She looked at the content that they were engaging with in the areas that they were experts in: cloud computing, artificial intelligence, um, robotics, and automation. And so she looked and she pointed to the fact that there were lots of that there was lots of content being created around these topics, but it wasn't being created by them. They had the experts and the expertise in the areas, but they weren't sharing it anywhere on their website. She used one of my favorite tools that was BuzzSumo. This is Answer the Public. This is completely free. You can type anything you want into this this online tool, Uh, there's a strange guy that stares at you, I don't know why, but it'll present to you this mind map of all the questions that your audience might be asking around any given topic. This is an editorial plan on a page in a beautiful visual that you can present to your CEO, you can present to your products and sales team, and say, if we create this content, we will rank for this keyword. If we generate traffic on this keyword, we're gonna be able to create more leads for you in sales. We're gonna be able to show more business to the company. And that's what Rena did. That's my tip number four, answer customer questions. It's as simple as that. Identify and then commit to answering customer questions. So what did Rena do? She asked for 0.1% of the cost of that golf sponsorship. She committed to bringing a million visitors, new visitors to their website. She said, I'm gonna grow the traffic to our website by a million in the first year and you can hold me accountable to that. If it doesn't work, we can go sponsor a golfer. So sure enough, after a year, She didn't just generate a million dollars or a million visitors to their website. They actually stumbled upon a million dollars in revenue. Wouldn't it be nice to stumble upon a million dollars in revenue for your company? Um, But it was really interesting. She thought, wow, we didn't just reach these people. We engaged them and we actually converted, even though conversion wasn't really the goal. So after that year, they presented their results to the CEO, and what did the CEO say? He said, I think I want to sponsor a golfer still. And the CMO said, I still want to take all of our budget and put it behind sponsoring a golfer, and Marina pushed back yet again. She said, wait, listen, listen, I looked at the data, and I figured out how we were able to generate that million dollars in revenue, almost accidentally from the traffic we got from our content. See, what happened was, uh, when Remco wrote an article about the customer experience, and he posted that on LinkedIn, um, some of our targeted, target audience, a group of buyers, people that had budget on a customer experience project, well, one of them reached out to them, reached out to Remco and said, I've got a project, I've got a $200,000 budget, I'd like you to come in and help me transform our organization to focus on customer experiences. And when Manjusha wrote an article about automation, she posted that on LinkedIn, and somebody reached, reached out to her and said, I've got a $300,000 budget, can you h- come help us understand the best practices and implement automation solutions for us? And so she said, I think if you just give me 0.2% of the cost of that golf sponsorship, I think I can double awareness and generate $2 million in sales. It'd be like a 20X return on investment. And so she was given one more year. Now, do you think Rena was able to double their sales to get $2 million? Um, You can probably imagine where I'm going with this. I want you to think of a number in your head before I press the button. So yes, $24 million in sales. So I'll tell you, this was about a 14X return on investment. For every dollar they spent, they got $14 in return, directly attributable revenue to this content platform, traffic on their website, shared on LinkedIn, connections and leads directly on LinkedIn. There weren't even any landing pages on this platform when it first launched. And so it's the most successful platform I've ever seen. The tip here is they activated their internal experts to create and share content. In fact, if you ask me for one thing that I think is the future of marketing, it's right here. Your employee experts are this army of marketing volunteers that can share what they know and share what they love with the audiences that they have, who can then reach the audiences that those people have, that can attract people to your company, that can engage them with your expertise and convert them to sales that your company can measure. All right, so in closing, the world is changing fast. There's lots of disruption. We're all feeling it in our personal and our professional lives. But does the content that we create for our company, that we may love our products and services, we think it's what we're supposed to do, but does it really engage the audiences that we're trying to reach? Do we make our audiences the heroes of our story? And so here are my five tips. Number one, we need to learn how to sell the business case. Number two, we need to commit to a frequency. Companies that publish two to four times per week see 300, 400, 500% increases in traffic over companies that don't. The litmus test for your content is your customer, the hero of the story. Number four, this is as simple as it gets, just identify and answer the questions that your customers are asking. And if you wonder who's gonna answer those questions, who's gonna create all that content, you've got this army of volunteers that can help you. If not right, then at least share. And so employee activation is really, truly the future of marketing. It's authentic thought leadership shared with audiences and relationships that already exist to generate value for your business. It's not about sharing press releases, it's about engaging people based on the passions of your existing employees. Now, I know we're marketing in times of crisis, in times of fear, in times of disruption, but I hope you've learned in this presentation that empathy is the key to the future of B2B marketing. I'm Michael Brenner, the CEO of Marketing Insider Group, the author of two books, The Content Formula and Mean People Suck. Thank you for your time.
1: I don't know about you but i always love hearing from michael brenner he has so much experience in b2b marketing and always looks at the world of marketing in such a refreshing way and frankly when you're in it stuck in the day-to-day grind on the hamster wheel of campaign execution content creation all that great stuff sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming like you're just getting things done to get things done so that session gave me a bit of a pick-me-up And again, if you want to see some of the supporting visual elements or just see Michael's face, you can do so by going to b2bsalesmarketing.exchange This and all of the other track sessions from the event are available on demand now. And of course, as always, we encourage you to share your feedback on the B2B MX podcast, topics you want us to cover, guests you want us to have in the hot seat. Just drop us a line at B2B MX on Twitter. And if you haven't already, subscribe. We're coming through your earbuds or your speakers every week. So if you subscribe to us, you'll get an alert when new episodes are available. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time.